Can you hear me, Paul? Yep. Awesome. Well, folks, welcome to the latest Denny Artachi show. Man, I've taken a break for personal and business reasons, but I'm back, and I think this is the greatest way to start it with my great friend, Paul Meeks. You know, Paul's a, a, <laughs> he's a humble guy, but he's quite a smart dude. First of all, he loves rock and roll. Let's get that out of the way. He still, he still pays money to see uh, Bruce Springsteen and other classic rockers. And Paul, that's got to cost you a pretty penny, right? Yeah, thanks to Ticketmaster. <laughs> yeah, I honestly, how much did you pay last time to see the boss? Uh, three hundred. Oh, nosebleeds. And I think uh, <laughs> I might have gotten out um, easily. Yeah, um, it wasn't. It wasn't uh, there weren't bad seats. It was in Greensboro, um, uh, North Carolina. Okay. Yeah, I, I was there uh, early in line. But yeah, uh, 300 uh, plus for each seat. It's amazing. You know, I guess they they still love to play and the money they make. And I've heard, you know, Billy Joel, a lot of people, some of the tickets are like a thousand bucks and so much for inflation and uh, people not having money. Um, but listen, uh, folks, again, Paul uh, doesn't like to brag, but he's, he's about a, a 33 year equity analyst and portfolio manager. His his niche and forte and fame, because he is a rock star, was yeah. technology stocks. He ran the largest technology fund for Merrill Lynch. You remember back then, Paul, when you did that? I do uh, remember both the good times and the bad times. The good <laughs> exactly. times when yeah, the internet bubble uh, inflated, the bad times when it popped. Yeah, you uh, you had more than egg on your face when it happened, right, brother? Yeah, but then you also kind of uh, learned through the experience, because I was pretty young then. Um, maybe even too young to have that job, uh, but you learn for next time. And so one of the things I've done is I've always had ever since then a plan B because uh, plan A tech stocks all the time uh, definitely needs a plan B. Yeah, exactly. That's right. And and people don't realize that because you're, you're a good friend of mine and you have the dividend model with independent solutions. Um, I love our calls. We could stay on forever to talk about markets and things because you're just so smart. I want to tell people again a little bit, a few of your accolades. Uh, folks, besides uh, being with Independent Solutions and the, the fund that he ran for Merrill Lynch, he teaches at the Citadel in Charleston. Paul, I got to tell you, I just don't know where you find the time. Um, I, I don't know how you do it. So he teaches finance, accounting, um, you know, and of course, in with independent solutions, he's got his technology, he's got the dividend model, and a few things. And uh, of course, Paul, he's on CNBC every week, folks, I think since uh, the internet bubble and way back when when things got crazy, uh, they've always wanted uh, Paul's opinion on things. So besides that, Paul, there's a there's a few things I want to go over with you. Last time we spoke, you know, you kind of casually said, I think we're going to be up a little bit of next year. And guess what? You're right, because the S&P is, uh, is up about 6%. Yep. But it's interesting because the Dow itself is actually flat and was down. But yet technology <clears throat> is up, what, 19% in the NASDAQ 100? Did I see that correctly? Yeah, that's about right. And uh, it's because the NASDAQ 100 and the S&P 500, for that matter, are driven by, you know, select few tech stocks, the mega cap names, the fangs, as they're, you know, they're called on CNBC. And so those have had a particular big bounce. And so oversized impact 
positively uh, this year, whereas they had an oversized impact negatively last year. Yeah, and how about your favorite little uh, old company called Apple? It's not looking too bad right about now, is it? Yeah, I watched the uh, webcast uh, last night. You know, it was mixed. But luckily, Apple can uh, pull some levers that other companies cannot. You know, one of the nice things is over time, they transitioned from a purely product company to now uh, services are almost a quarter of their sales. And the nice thing about services is it has a super high profit margin, much higher profit margin than products like the Macs and, you know, the iPads and the iPhones. And so you think about it as services becomes a bigger part of the overall mix. It has a much higher profitability margin than the rest of the products. It's going to lift overall profitability with it. So even though the company grows at a pretty sluggish rate, you know, they will probably continue to see profit margin expansion. Sounds to me like they're catering to lazy people who just want them to do everything. Service. Yeah. Well, they, that's, that's their, uh, their shtick, right? They have an ecosystem. You know, you buy the phone and then you feel like to maximize my role in the ecosystem, I got to have the uh, Mac and the iPods. And, you know, maybe I should get uh, Apple Music instead of Spotify. And so they bring them all into uh, the club. And of course, um, that's exactly what they want. And over the years, they've built an installed base of about uh, 2 billion users, right? So wow. there are 2 billion people on planet Earth that have one of the devices. And so, of course, now that they have one of the devices, they try to pump them with other products and services. Uh, yeah, most people, including me, spend way too much time on their iPhones. Sure. My schedule's there, information. I, I can remember years ago, AT&T made so much money with that ad because the CEO was holding it saying, hey, all this at the palm of your hand. And here we are so many years later and people can't be caught without it. So uh, listen, uh, let's talk about the Fed, you know, because we both know that uh, politics doesn't really dictate many things. The Fed does. And my goodness, I I think he's officially scared, but he did raise it a quarter point. Yep. You think he's going to back off or he's going to increase it going forward? I think that that was the uh, last hike. So we had, uh, you know, just a day or so ago, a uh, quarter point. So now the Fed funds rate trades between 5.0 and five and a quarter percent. That's about as high as it got the last time we ratcheted up rates back in 07. Uh, but I think what happens is now they're going to stand pat. And what they need to do is see how these uh, tweaks in rates, which have been fast and furious ever since March of 2022, are going to, with a lag, impact the economy, right? They don't want to get uh, too far ahead and say, hey, we're not bringing down inflation. Well, of course you're not, because there's a lag. And so now I think they're going to uh, see uh, with a lag, what the impact is on inflation. So I do think that was the uh, last hike. I think the next time you see him move, it won't be this year. I think it'll be next year. Denny, I think we're going down. I think we're going to lower rates in 04 and 05. And so what had been a real stiff headwind with rates going up, I think becomes a nice tailwind as rates go down, not this year, but next year and the year after. Well, I think the market is pricing that in, yes that they expect rates will come down next year and the year after that. 
Yep. But you know, there's, it's so interesting. I mean, you look at, I think the job figures came out better than they expected. Yeah. And uh, for some reason that affected bond deals, did it not? Yeah. Because you think about it, um, you know, services is such a big part of the inflation calculation. And then buried within that is wages. And as long as the uh, U.S. job market stays tight, and it is tight as a drum, <laughs> yeah. you're going to have continued pressure on wages. And that's going to be really difficult because we really don't solve this um, inflation conundrum until we start to see wages slack a bit. And unfortunately, I never want to see anybody get fired. Right. We're going to have to see some uh, weakness in the job market. And today's print showed it was even stronger than people thought. So unfortunately, if you're a Fed watcher, going in the wrong direction. Well, it's so weird how things go opposite that, yes, unemployment is actually better for inflation, which is yeah. which would be better for us. But then people have less money to spend. And I, I never got the whole thing that people spending frivolously and, and jacking up credit is good for the economy, which no. brings me to my next question. I think GDP itself has actually slowed down. So we're a lot closer to the recession fear that yep. they had, let's say, a year ago, aren't we? That That's the truth right now. Yeah, the uh, GDP rate in the fourth quarter of last year was 2 plus, 2% 2 plus. And in the quarter uh, just announced, it was barely 1%. So I think the U.S. economy this year you know, does not enter a recession. I think that's a next year deal but it's going to grow very slow, you know, 1%-ish. Do think we have a recession next year, but I think everybody knows that foregone conclusion. I also think it's going to be pretty short and shallow. And so that's why, Denny, stocks are up this year, even though uh, recession is on everybody's tongue. Because yes, I see it. It's coming, no doubt, but short and shallow. So let's look on the other side. So that's what's happening now. And that's the difference. They are expecting a short recession, right. not a long one like we had previously. Right. Or so or, yes. or particularly deep. Or particularly deep. Yes, correct. You know, I hate to say it, but I think political and world issues will affect the market. I think it will change sentimental val uh, sentiment. Yep. Because the simple fact is because of rates of where they are and what they will remain in the next six to 12 months, there are a lot of attractive uh, yields out there without yeah. much risk. However, I would, I would think that equity investors for the next five years, if we have a next sell-off. That would be a great time to step yeah. in. Yeah. And because I, really I believe that the next move of the fed is not rates going up. It's rates going down. And so the next time we have a, a drop and we will, Right. We'll have many drops between now and, you know, the end of this calendar year. I do think if it's uh, significant and, and enough, Paul, good running and Paul, I think I don't mean to interrupt you, but I think it'll be something irrelevant. For lack of other words, like a world, a global event yeah. or something to that to that matter. But, yes, well, you know, the, the, the key trigger could be because it's my greatest fear now. I no longer see the Fed raising rates as a fear. I put that okay. in your view mirror. However. You know, this uh, debt ceiling. Yes. Right. We have to solve that riddle. Uh, some people say as soon as June and other people say we might have some breathing room until August. But uh, whether it's June or August, that's coming up quick. 
And that could be a factor, Denny, that you're talking about this exogenous variable that causes a downdraft. Because the last time we played this fool's game was back in uh, 2011. And at the final hour, right, Congress and the administration came together. Like always. They waited to the final, final, final minute. And just the anxiety around that back in 2011 did cause the S&P 500 to drop 17%. Now, once they solved uh, the problem, the market came back pretty quickly. But I think that is our next biggest risk. And if it does cause a bloodbath in a market, then it's probably time to buy with both hands. And that's the difference, Paul. I think people that are uh, drawing income currently and, and are already retired, that's a different time horizon for, say, the investor that's investing for the next 10, 15 years. And that's the difference. Yes, of course, the stock market doesn't go straight up or straight down. It has many bumps in the road, and uh, you have to be able to weather the storms. And that's why you came up with your dividend model, right? Yeah. Uh, you had the momentum model you were doing for a while. Yeah. So- what do you think from now until the end of the year? You think we'll we'll stay where we are, we go up, or we take a breather? I actually think that there's short-term risk around the uh, debt ceiling debacle. Okay. So uh, elevated risk through the end of the summer, right? I don't know if it becomes a June phenomenon or an August phenomenon, but it's going down before school starts in the fall. <laughs> Which um, is a great time to buy, Paul. Right. That's what we're right. discussing here. But once we get through that, I think that the market uh, rallies. Uh, why? Because we might even have a recession then, Denny. If we don't, it's going to be imminent, but it's going to be no surprise. People are going to come to the conclusion, like me, I believe, short and shallow. And then they're also going to start thinking about the rate cuts next year. And if we do have rate cuts next year, you know, the market forecast that about six to nine months in advance. And so if that's going to happen, that's going to be a nice tailwind at our backs. I think you want to be in before it. So anyway, you think about it before we get to the end of this year, December 31st, I bet we have a market rally after we have a potential dip around the debt ceiling thing. Yeah, well, I think uh, investor sentiment can change. I mean, look, um, the regional bank issue which oh, yeah. scared the bejeebies. <laughs> and I thought that was uh, I thought that was contained, you know, a couple of weeks ago. But unfortunately, you know, <laughs> now you have uh, Pacific West um, and then you had First Republican, you know, go down on Monday. So unfortunately, that continues to drip. I do think it's a community and regional bank only issue, right? You're not going to have a problem with Bank of America, or Wells Fargo, or Citi, or J.P. Morgan. But unfortunately, that continues to be a risk. And I thought that was going to be cleared up a couple of weeks ago. Not so and, fast. And again, this will dictate uh, the average American about yeah, seriously considering putting all their money with banks like that. It's just, yeah. again. And, but, but there's like like anything in life, there's a good thing, bad thing. Yes. About that the the bad thing is, wow, banking crisis. The good thing is, uh, because the other banks don't want to be in that uh, bad club, they're going to tighten their lending, right? They're going to be more careful with their lending. And that in and of itself, that protective step is going to slow down the economy. And that is also going to help uh, the Fed uh, not have to raise rates again and also um, dampen inflation. 
So that's right. the yeah. that's the uh, as long as it doesn't boil over into a full fledged you know, banking crisis like 08, that is the positive of what's going on with the banks right now. It's going to in and itself going to act like another interest rate hike. So the Fed won't have to do it. Well, certainly it's going to affect many things. Like I, I think that's what's affecting home ownership and and uh, you know sales in real estate, of course, because uh, I think it's off by thirty five percent year to date, something yeah. like that. A uh, big difference in rates, but as things cool off, as you say, yes, uh, with a slowing GDP and inflation being in check, um, I and think- I and I do think we'll with a lag get some weakness in the job market, which is actually a positive i know i hate to say it i yes. hate to say it right because you know we're good guys we don't want to see anybody lose their job right yeah but there have been a real bloodletting in silicon valley and some of those uh you know tech firings in the tens of thousands so far they haven't showed up in the numbers but they're coming right because the uh firing announcements have been made people have been leaving the building so those numbers not yet in the stats they'll be in the stats before too long well, are there certain sectors or companies that you like going forward because of what's going on in the market and global events and, and, yeah. and the economy in general? I would say a couple of things. You know, but first the asset class before we delve into the economic sector. You know, you and I have talked about this before, a uh, generational opportunity to buy fixed income. So for my uh, clients, that are either in my dividend model and have cash or my private wealth group model and have surplus cash. I take the surplus cash and I put it in short-term fixed income. You know, right now, you know, the uh, yield on a super, super safe U.S. treasury that matures in only four months is like 5.1%. I know. It's, I, I know. Did you... So the way, the way I look at it, five years ago, if you would have said that, some someone would have asked you to pee in a cup or take a drug test. Right. right. <laughs> so in the meantime, whether it's a money market mutual fund, whether it's a mutual fund or an ETF that buys short-term treasuries, whether you have a big enough portfolio so you can buy individual treasury securities, which usually is inappropriate unless the portfolio is large. Um, man, it's a really good opportunity, and you could not say that as recently as six months ago, much less a year ago. And so that is, uh, for conservative investors, my best bet, believe it or not. And you're talking about a guy that usually invests in aggressive tech stocks. Correct. Swing um, through the fences. Right. So with um, uh, equities, you know, I still think it pays to be cautious, at least until we get through this uh, debt ceiling debacle. And so I am pretty heavy in uh, consumer staples, and uh, industrials, some basic materials, maybe even some energy and utility stocks, you know, still in the bunker or maybe creeping out of the bunker. I'm not ready to go um, uh, too aggressive with tech. And even in my tech model, I try to play defensive tech. My tech model has very few of the fangs. <laughs> the fangs is what everybody has. I have a couple of the fangs. We can talk about them. But I have a lot more uh, smaller and mid-cap stocks because I think it's a more defensive way to play tech because some of these fangs, since their big bounce last fall, are trading at some egregious values, including Apple. Well, that brings me uh, to another question that I forgot to ask. 
there's also a lot of why we may have a sell-off is they think the market's expensive right now. It's yeah. trading a little bit higher than acceptable PE ratios. Do you agree with that? Yeah. So right now the S&P on a forward basis is trading at about 18 times. Okay. You know, over time, you know, the uh, average is maybe 15 to 16 times. And the problem is this. Uh, it's okay to have a high multiple, but usually when you have a high multiple, the uh, interest rates are low and earnings are growing strongly. Earnings are growing for the S&P in this kind of um, valuation uh, in the mid-teens percentage. But the problem is we got the high valuation, not egregiously high, but definitely over the average. And okay. unfortunately, we don't have the low rates. We got higher rates. And this year, the earnings on the S&P 500 will not be up uh, mid-teens percentage. They might be down five to 10%. So we kind of have a, a, a mismatch right now, which has me uh, worried short-term about the markets. Um, interest rates up, earnings coming down, and that is not a recipe to have a high S&P multiple. It's actually the 180 degree from the recipe. So that has me short-term worried. Not long-term worried, short-term worried. Yeah, if profits suffer, so will the stock price, plain and simple. Yeah. Um, well, that's interesting. Okay, well, um, are there any sectors you think do not look attractive going forward for investors? Because Yeah, you know, at the beginning of the podcast, you know, you talked about uh, tech. So here we are uh, in May of 2023. The Dow is flat to slightly down. The S&P 500 is up about 5%. And the NASDAQ is up double digits. <laughs> now, part of it is uh, a bounce because, you know, the NASDAQ was down, you know, the typical tech stock was down almost 40% last year. So you could say it's a, you know, it, the stocks got oversold. But unfortunately, Denny, I think they're now overbought. Too big of a bounce, too fast. I've been listening to all these tech conference calls, including Apple last night. They're not telling, uh, you know, really rosy stories. You know, it really is no turn in fundamentals yet. So anyway, sectors that I worry about, I actually think we're going to have some comeuppance in tech. Too have far. They too mentioned that, uh, have they mentioned that their sales are off or their profitability is off? The problem is tech companies uh, definitely need to have top line sales growth. And what they've been doing this earnings reporting season, which I don't give them full credit for, is their revenues are still weak. Like Apple, for example, shrank year to year when they reported the results last night. But their EPS, earnings per share, is either flat or growing because they do a couple of things. They fire some people, they lower their costs. In Apple's case, they actually bought back so many shares that they lowered their share count and they boosted their earnings per share by doing that. So I don't give these companies too much credit for these games because at the end of the day, if you're tech, you grow your sales or you don't. You can't get to the dance by just cutting costs. And so I think they've gotten a lift uh, by cutting costs, but I think that exhausts itself. So I look for, for tech companies that are hard to find that despite this debacle are still continuing to grow their sales at a nice rate. Hmm. Interesting. Well, certainly uh, appreciate folks, if you're listening, Independent Solutions, uh, we could we could discuss for a long time, the many different ways that they're different from everyone else. And and Paul, the private wealth group has been doing very well because, uh, you know, you're able to do different things there 
Is yeah. there anything new that the private wealth group is focusing on in the next six to 12 months? Yeah, we've, we've brought on uh, some folks to supplement things. I, I think the, the magic with the private wealth group, and I've been you know doing this since the 1980s, is that with the private wealth group, you know, a financial advisor and his or her prospect and definitely his or her client can talk to a portfolio manager. Kind of rare, right? When I was at Merrill, you know, uh, I managed much more money. You know, I managed $8 billion, but I managed mutual funds. And um, not because I'm a, uh, you know, not a nice person. I think I am a nice person and I'm pretty extroverted, but uh, I would never talk to, uh, never would talk to a client for sure. Never would talk to a prospect for sure. And would even super, super rarely even talk to a financial advisor. So that's one of the cool things where uh, you get to talk to, like call up somebody and say, hey, Paul, you know, what do you think about the debt ceiling? You would never be able to do that at other shops. And so anyway, I think that's actually uh, the secret sauce, right? You get to talk to the dude. When I say dude, man or woman. That's right. Uh, actually managing the dough. It's actually quite unique. Well, I know my clients certainly enjoy it. I enjoy it. And that's absolutely true. Uh, you won't get it anywhere else, uh, yeah. no matter how many assets you have under management with them. And uh, that's a beautiful thing with independent solutions. Hey, we had a great time uh, just recently in Jupiter. Yes. I mean, everyone came from around the world, uh, the, yeah. the country and whew, we got yeah, about I, three, uh, four hours sleep. I, I enjoyed that conference. And, you know, either or not, even though I'm not a financial advisor, I, listen to all the presentations and like anybody else, try to have a couple takeaways. And um, yeah, I thought there was some uh, good stuff and the people are cool. And, uh, you know, I snuck away one time I did a CNBC spot from my hotel room. Then I <laughs> snuck away, you know, and I actually had to listen to a couple quarterly calls because we're right in the middle as we were last week sure. of this quarterly reporting season. But uh, yeah, made time for that. It all worked out. Paul, always a pleasure, my friend. I guess we should do this every quarter. Yes. And uh, so far, you've been uh, your batting average is very well, my my friend. And uh, Thank you. Uh, as always, I learned so much talking with you, and uh, I always enjoy it. So, don't be a stranger, and let's get together right. soon. Okay. All right. Be well. All right, Paul Meeks, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for listening to the latest Denny Artachi Show podcast. I'm back. I'm back. Maybe some of you want me to stay on vacation, but <laughs> Paul, thanks a lot. All right. See you, fellas.